Welcome back, everybody, to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series, and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. If you've been following along with our podcast, then you know we cover two episodes of the series, and today we have arrived at Episode 11, Night of a Thousand Stars. The episode is written by Joshua Hamilton. It's directed by Colin Heck. Names that we have grown very familiar with every podcast episode. Um, it'd be interesting at this point to kind of like lean back a little bit and 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 kind of think about the commonalities in the episodes. Cause like every other episode is literally the same writer um yeah. writing it and you know and the same director. And the same director. Because here is like Here's Joshua Hamilton with what was a very somber episode last time in the last episode, uh, The Guide. And it was a very introspective, calm episode. And here in Night of a Thousand Stars, it's a very different kind of episode. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of drama. But you know what? very thrilling. Yeah, but you know what I've noticed as well, though? Joshua Hamilton, his episodes, no matter what, have a lot of very... I want to see like the episodes that he did, but his episodes are very uh, character focused. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? They're they're very oh, yeah. they're very very like character focused, and some of the episodes that he did in Avatar: The Last Airbender, just at a look, um, were episodes like uh, the Cave of Two Lovers, for example. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> and and so Joshua Hamilton's writing is so interesting because even now, years later, translating into Legend of Korra, I really feel like he really takes the time to make sure that his stories move character relationships forward in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. It was Aang and Katara in The Cave of Two Lovers, and here in The Night of a Thousand Stars, um, yeah, sure, there's like intrigue with like romantic relationships, but what I really enjoyed in this was um, Mako and Bolin. Which of course mm -hmm. we'll go much more into, but it's a, a good thing, you know, noting uh, a highlight of of Joshua's writing. So well done, Joshua. <laughs> the episode is animated by Studio Mir. The it aired November fifteenth to uh, twenty thirteen, and the IMDb rating for A Night of a Thousand Stars is eight point one out of ten. Boo. Which for me Too is low. that is very very low. Yes. yes. Gosh, we, we'll we'll get to the whole rating thing in a second. <laughs> but first of all, distract me from the outrage with some fun facts, will you please? Anna? Okay. Um. So we only have two for this one, but I actually found these very fascinating. Um. The painted stripe pattern on Varric's battleship is called dazzle camouflage, and it was developed by the Allies in World War One. Interestingly, its purpose was not to hide the ships, but rather make it difficult for the enemy to estimate their range, speed, and heading. And let me just tell you, I was very curious when I read this, like as I was looking at these fun facts, and so I looked up dazzle camouflage, and it's so trippy. Like, I was like, wow, that is actually really cool and really effective, I'm sure. Like, you know, being able to detect these ships, but not be able to tell 
which direction they're going, how big they are, how many there are. You're just like, that's so weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. Desiclant camouflage, being familiar with a, a bunch of wartime history and, and facts and trivia, because I love that stuff, like technology mm -hmm. and all kinds of things. It makes huge leaps and bounds. And just the psychology of warfare, everything from like sound to like this visual tricks is just mm -hmm. so incredibly fascinating and so as soon as i saw it i was like oh that's a cool detail to add in yeah and it's funny because like as i was watching this episode i noticed like that his ship was painted with those stripes and i just thought oh well it's varic it's like you know extravagant and it's flamboyant. An, it's, <laughs> an, it's an animal print you know right exactly it's an animal seal or something like but no, it actually it has some real world ties, as most things do in Avatar. And I love that. I love those little details. Um, and our second fun fact is Bolin showing Mako the poster of Nuktuk is similar to Sokka flashing Team Avatar, the poster of the boy in the iceberg play from the Ember Island Players episode. <laughs> Again, <laughs> parallels to Sokka because like they just love Sokka, apparently, and calling, hearkening back to him. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, those are the only two fun facts i could find i was disappointed because i love this episode i wanted to know more about it yeah. but uh this this honestly like might be one of my favorite episodes of season two like you can fully compare mm -hmm. in hindsight my rating for this episode when i finally give it to like what i've rated episodes before but this mm -hmm. is episode was superb i love yeah. everything about this episode except one thing <laughs> right at the very you know, start <laughs> right at the very start so you may remember like we were talking about avatar and speaking mm -hmm. of things that harken back to things we've seen before i seem to recall av you know the avatar meditating at a spirit pool and, and 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 astral projecting into the spirit world and i remember a very 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 important detail you don't move the body you don't move the body. Why are they moving to Nora's body? Why are they doing it? Because your spirit is supposed to be able to find its way back to your body at the point where you left it. And if you move it, it can't find it. What are they doing? Well, well to be fair, it, I mean, yes, that was technically established in Avatar. But Avatar broke that rule anyway. Because remember, Zuko moved Aang's body and so his spirit had to travel to find himself because he wasn't at the pool. But, but, but he's the avatar. Like you just trust the, <laughs> avatar, the avatar to do avatar <laughs> shtick to find his way. Like she, this is her first trip to the spirit world. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, and it's so funny. Cause like, I didn't even think of that. Cause like, yeah, thinking back to the episodes, um, you know, in the Northern uh, water tribe. Yeah. That was a big thing. That's why Katara was fighting Zuko so that he couldn't move Aang's body and he couldn't take him, but he took him anyway, obviously, but his spirit was still able to find his body. So it's like they established the rule and then kind of immediately broke it. I don't know if it's a rule per se, or just kind of like this makes it easier <laughs> for his spirit to find his body. But I, I guess, I guess. So I I'll be lenient with legend of Korra because avatar broke that rule first. So <laughs> I guess, I guess in all of Tenzin's study about the spirit world that he claims to have had, I guess he also lied about reading a whole bunch of stuff about it because if he had, he would have known you're not supposed to move the bodies. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Tenzin, what are you doing? You're a fraud. You're a fraud, Tenzin. What are you doing? What were you reading when you said you were reading all those books about the spirit world studying your whole life? Like, that's it. That can't be it. Where's the rest of it? <laughs> Where's the rest of it? 
years of academy training wasted. <laughs> yes. Oh, goodness. Well, beyond that, what did you think of this episode? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that was my only sticking point. The episode is phenomenal. <laughs> First of all, Ms. Millwood, what have I been saying about Mako? Every single episode this season. What is my hashtag? You know what it is. Hashtag Mako did nothing wrong. Exactly. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, and, I, and I hold to that this entire time. Because even Mako not telling her that he broke up with her. Because she clearly doesn't remember it. I'm sorry. Like, oh, I know I'm skipping no. to the ending here. But he did nothing wrong. The man did nothing wrong. I'm going to have to hard disagree with that. <laughs> I'm sorry. That for me, that is where everybody turned on Mako, including me for a little bit. He did redeem himself, but I was like, that okay. is not okay. He, I, Let, I was on his side up to say, that point. You have your say. Have your say, and I'm going to counterpoint. You have okay. your say on it. You tell me why he's bad for doing that. Okay, so just for a little context, at the very, literally the last scene of the episode, um, or one of the last scenes of the episode, Korra has come back, she has not seen Mako, Bolin, or Asami yet, and she gets reunited with all of them, and the first thing she does when being reunited with Mako, after, you know, losing her memory, meeting Avatar 1, is she kisses him, because she doesn't remember that she and uh, Mako broke up and had a, like, really bad fight. Um, in front of his boss, Lynn, by the way, and all of his coworkers. So like very embarrassing. <laughs> and so, you know, she, he like reminds her of that. He's like, uh, do you not remember that we had that fight? And she was like, no. And, you know, she doesn't remember how bad the fight was. So she asked, you know, was it a bad fight? And Mako just kind of goes, um, no, no, it wasn't bad. It's like, oh my god, Mako, you dumb asshole. <laughs> You're so and Asami's right there. She's literally glaring at him, like, um, what's going on here? Rightfully so, honestly. This is the one time where she's actually justified <laughs> in her like anger at towards him. Um, and yeah, he just like a dumb dick doesn't say anything. <laughs> I'm just like, God, Mako, you're proving everybody right. Like <laughs> I was with you up to this point, man. I I fought for you. I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. Uh, yeah. So that's my thoughts. You go okay. ahead. Okay. Defend. Okay. Here here is my here is my counterpoint. Here is my only counterpoint to it because I too was shocked at first when he was like, "Oh yeah, no," and I was like, "Oh, dude." But then immediately the thought comes to my mind: Well, of course, what are you gonna do? Crush her that like you broke up with her and she can't even remember it. She has literally days to fight the demon lord of the demon god of chaos from the spirit world to save the lives of literally everyone on the planet. And this is somebody who like the like like she so much as hears a sad song and she's like crying for days, unable to function. Are we really going to sabotage the fate of the world by, like, literally every life, billions of lives on the planet, hang on her being in a good go-getter mood? Are you really gonna... Is it gonna kill... Is it gonna kill her or anybody to let her think the fight wasn't too bad for, like, three days? Let the fate of the world, the apocalypse, pass? And then afterward be, like, after literally everyone's alive and safe... 
and Unlock's been defeated, then be like, hey, now that like the literal apocalypse is over, real quick confession, let me circle back to that whole how bad was the fight. So in the moment, I really didn't want to risk everything with so much being on the line, but just so you know, it was really bad. We actually had a really bad fight. It was bad. It was in my workplace. I know you don't remember it. It's not your fault. You don't can't control what happened with your memory, but it was really bad. And after what happened, like I, we weren't together anymore. And I'm sorry for lying to you. Literally, the fate of the world was hanging in the balance. But like, I didn't mean to hide it from you. I'm sorry if you hate me and don't want to talk to me anymore. I'm glad you saved the world. You're awesome. You're a hero. Hate me for the rest of your life if you want to. But like, we're we're done, and I don't want to be with you anymore. <laughs> like we're done do that like do that but don't do it when literally like seven billion people's lives are in the balance where she cries for four days like unalak wins like because that's basically happened before uh i'm I'm sorry i'm I'm just saying there's too much on the line like be a jerk and throw your integrity out the window but like let her save the world let her be a go-getter and don't depress her by like rejecting her and crushing her heart when she has to save everybody so here's my counter counter to your counter (laughs) um they're actually the what you just described does happen oh okay spoiler alert okay yeah, no, no, no. You basically just plotted it all out. Um, mm-hmm. But here's my thing. It happens in the last episode of this season. Mm-hmm. And I can't help. And it's actually a really, really well done scene. Like, it's it's really well done. And um, I can't help but feel that it actually would have been even better if they had taken that scene and put it at the end of this episode. Like, that, that would have been the big clencher of like, oh, we're done. Like, for real. Um, and then we would have had like, oh no, is she going to like, how's she going to react to that when she's fighting, you know, the big kite of darkness or whatever. And, <laughs> and so the kite of darkness, she's yeah. fighting Aku. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because yeah, if he had, you know, they could have kissed, that would have been fine because again, she didn't know and he was caught off guard. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but when she asks, was it a bad fight? He should have literally taken her gently to the side or to a different room and had the exact conversation that they have in the finale. And I think it would have been, I would have been like, you know what? That was actually really mature. That was, that shows growth. That shows like, but it's, oh, it's, it makes me so mad. I'm not saying he, he decided it was perfect. And because, and I would, and my only counter, counter, counterpoint is, do you really think Cora would have let him like, we need to talk about this in the separate room. I'm a hundred percent sure she would have been like, no, we're going to talk about this right here. Like that's the core. He knows the one who want to fight in front of everybody. The one who like, he has no patience at all. The one who she's, he, he only knows her for having like fights immediately. And then like the worst situations. Right. And that's why I feel like it would have been a really good moment for both of them. If they, you know, had had a, a genuine mature conversation about it you know, just yeah. the two of Objectively, them. Yes. Objectively, yeah. yes. Objectively, yes. From a writing just... standpoint, it would have been better. I totally agree with you. Yes. Um. So, yeah, was not happy about that. <laughs> but that's okay, because, you know, what else do we expect from these two crazy kids? Like, <laughs> yeah. I hope at the very least, I mean, again, like you said, I pretty much predicted what the outcome of it. But, like, honestly, if I was in that situation, I, I probably would have done what Mako did. 
knowing Cora. Oh no, no, fully, full. I mean, I'm fully admitting it. I mean, I'm not a perfect person. In the heat of the moment and where he was, like I probably would have lied to her too. By all means, keep the like immortal Avatar God happy long enough to save the world, and like yeah. not risk of really embarrassing, crushing fight again. Just take the path of least resistance. The guy's in an abusive relationship. Like keep her happy, let her do her work, and then let her down when literally everyone's life isn't on the line. I'm just saying I could understand. I I could understand. God, I would have loved to have seen the conversation between him and Asami after that. Like, <laughs> if she would have even talked to him, just been like, nope, we're done. I'm, oh I'm done with your ass. Like, <laughs> and like, and like Asami, and if Asami was an adult, she would have thought the same thing. Like, okay, like crazy God powered girl. Let's it. Like, I get why you had to say that to her. What are you going to do? She's back and ready for action. What are you going to do? Crush her with rejection before she has to fight a literal God? No, let's keep her in fighting strength. Like, I'm just saying, like, I get while objectively it's true, sometimes, sometimes you gotta let people think what they, what they need to think. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> Maybe that makes me a bad person. If it does, well, that's okay. Varric's a bad person too, and everybody loves him, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so speaking of Varric, good transition speaking there. Speaking of Varric. Yep, <laughs> yes. yep. That was an intentional segue. Ooh, gets me out of the hot chair. Come on, Mako, we'll get a drink afterward. <laughs> but uh yeah so the main yeah. like thrust of this story for this episode is that um varick is setting up this whole big premiere for the finale of nuktuk hero of the south and he does it at the pro bending ar uh, arena and he invites everybody like politicians and the president and his wife and obviously bolin and asami and you know everybody's there um it's a big huge night and Mako's is not invited because homeboy's in jail. <laughs> because they, he, I think it was actually in the previous episode, but I don't even think we talked about it. <laughs> no, but, no, I mean, we kind of did. We're like, you know, Varric makes him an offer he can't refuse, and he says no. We didn't talk about him going to jail for it, but yeah. Yeah, but basically he gets framed for the explosion at the cultural center, at the Southern Water Tribe Cultural Center, and so he's in jail um, for that. And so it's just Bolin and Asami uh, at this premiere. And yeah, there's Mako knows that something's about to go down at, at Bolin's premiere because the president and his wife are there. And I swear, I thought this was going to get so dark. I literally thought this was going to be like fucking Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> like he's going to get the play. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's how they're setting it up. Like he's going to get his fucking head blown off or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my God. That would have been the yikes. Um, but no, he just is trying to get kid. Barrett tries to kidnap him to start, as he claims, a bigger war <laughs> because he already started a war. Um, and so, yeah, Bolin's got to, like, save the day. And, wow, it, like, this is the first time that Bolin's really gotten to shine this season. Like, yeah. truly shine. Because um, not first only does of he all, have... yeah, First of all, it. can I throw in something real quick as we're diving into this? Um, a quick note on this is that the sepia tone is used to great effect to like remind us that we're back in republic city yeah i i love that i love that <laughs> not like in movies when you're like you're in mexico now and everything is like colored like the queso cheese just like a yeah. hazy yellow over everything and we're like okay wrong but i get it we're, we <laughs> know where we are yeah like i love that they kind of like 
colorize everything, this like sepia tone, to harken mm-hmm. back to the aesthetics of season one because you hate the sepia tone. And <laughs> no, I don't hate it. <laughs> you hate it. You no, no. Okay, listen, real quick. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stop you. <laughs> no, because that's actually something I noticed because we go back and forth from the Water Tribe to uh, Republic City, and it's clearly a different tone like the color tone is different and you I didn't love it. like it about season one though in season one with the sepia tone every time you complained <laughs> about it no i did not <laughs> lies and slander no <laughs> what i said is that at least for this season i liked that there was more of color pa- like a you know a richer color palette that mm-hmm. studio perot specifically brought to season two but mm. in terms of like lighting and just the the vibe i love the way that republic city is lit i love that it's it does have a bit of a more i don't i don't know if grungy is the right word but it's you know what i mean it's not Not kind of kind of murky yeah as a city would be like it it feels lived in i guess is the way that (laughs) yeah so i don't like obviously i'm gonna prefer bright vibrant colors but I loved going back and forth between. I think the problem with season one was that we spent all of our time there. And like, I love Okay, the see, come city. on now. You did say something negative about it. Not this season, but back then you did. <laughs> and like, that doesn't mean I don't like it. Like, if we spent all of our time in, you know, say, Bossing Say or, you know, the Fire Nation, like, yeah, I love those locations, but it would get a little boring after a while just staying in that one place. Just the um, lack of variation. Yeah, yeah. Right. I totally get it now. So I like being able to go back and forth between the nice, cool blues and purples of the Water Tribe to, you know, the more grungy, earthy colors of Republic City. And, yeah. you know, you can tell the difference. Like, it feels different. You're like, wow, I feel like we're in a completely new place because we are. Um and yeah, so I, I loved that. And I did notice that with this episode that I was like, wow, it's like being back in season one. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like I can feel Amana's there. <laughs> right, okay, God, well, I want him you, back. Thank you, thank, you for, thank you for clearing that up for us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, but you know, like you were saying, though, um, before I just wanted to comment on the on the visual cue of Republic City, especially when Mako's in like his jail cell, you know, mm-hmm. and there's just like that copper hue over everything. Um, yeah, like you said, Bolin has a real chance to shine here, and I love it. I've you know, I've been loving the second half of season two with Bolin and the movers and everything. I think it's a great thing. Um, because, you know, like it or hate it objectively him being like wrapped up where all he was was just kind of in this like perpetual little like corner mm-hmm. where he's he's just in this bad relationship and it's played for laughs it doesn't it gives him literally nothing to do it's right. like you're you're just pretty much you might as well just write the character out of the season but having him here he's great because number one i love the underplayed complexity of Bolin having such a big head. It was played up a little bit more in previous episodes, but by this point we just kind of see him coming in to, and like talking down to Mako where he's like, I'm a member of high society and you're a criminal. He's like, well, I'm not a criminal. I do anything. I was like, yeah, but you're where criminals live. It just kind of looks like it, you know? Yeah. And But I like that, you know, they didn't turn Bolin with this sort of arrogant, blown-up ego that he's getting 
as him being genuinely bad. Like, we're not supposed to dislike Bolin. We're just, we know he's being, he's being tricked, you know? Right. Um, but he's not like, he's not like annoying. I didn't find him annoying. It's, he's oh. still being nice to Mako as much as he can be. He's being funny and dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, but the instant things start going bad, the instant things start, you know, going pear-shaped over at the, at the arena in the middle of the movie. And I loved this. <laughs> Number one, he springs right into action, but I loved that everything from his heroic, you know dialogue that he spews out his one-liners to like the poses he strikes to like the pacing of the fight mirrors the finale of the movie happening on screen the theatricality of it is amazing yes i do love that um yeah the whole the whole battle in the arena with just uh say molin uh bolin (laughs) um you know fighting off these uh water tribes water tribesmen um it's really really good and i gotta say (laughs) look the shot of him ripping off his sleeves and then cracking his neck as he's about to like jump into action boy like mm, that's some good shit right there (laughs) man uh the man's a beefcake uh you know he's played for laughs but uh he's not afraid to town and dirty and get down to business (laughs) like no no he's not it's uh we we like to see Pharaoh Bolin come out every once in a while. Yes. No, but after so- all, he is Nuck Tuck. He's he's hero. he's the hero of the South. Literally, and like that's one of my I love tropes like this um, for characters, and this is why Sokka is just my right up there with Zuko is the best character to ever be invented ever um, <laughs> in the history of characters. Is Facts. that? Yes, facts. Um, is that I absolutely adore comedic, like, they are comedic characters. They are there mm-hmm. to be the butt of the joke or be the joking, you know, character. But they are able to go into serious mode and, like, be super serious and, like, get down mm-hmm. to business. I love that. And, you know, it doesn't happen very often with Bolin in the first season. And mm-hmm. this is really the first time that I remember it happening. And I was like, oh, okay i like that like because up to this point he's just been the comedic you know side character the comedic brother little brother um but at this point he's on his own basically you know he's soloing these guys and it's the first time we've really seen him fight on his own because he's always either with his brother with team avatar and i'm like damn i actually love this like and it actually continues like he I don't want to say he gets more serious as the season goes on or seasons, I should say. Um, but he matures so much by season four that it almost feels like he's a different person, but in a good way, you're like, wow. Yeah. Like he feels like he's truly gone through an arc and he's not just a comedic relief anymore. He's like an actual fully fleshed character. And like, it, it's really good. And I love it. And this is really, I feel like the birthplace of that transformation for him. Um, that's awesome i love so, to see it because i love the brothers as characters you know i wanted to see more from them in season one um and ironically season two for as much as we have things to sort of like talk down to it about we're really punching down on season two here right. uh we really are uh i really love as i've said before i love what they did with mako i've been loving what they've been doing with bolin and mm you know it's 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 great i want to see more of it i mean i'm more excited to see the evolution of mako and bolin as characters to 
100% transparency than I am for Korra. Like, Korra undergoes, as you said, a great transformation between here and the end of the series. But, like, okay, cool, that's going to happen. But I really am intrigued to see what's going to happen with them. Where are they going to go as characters? Because Korra, like, you can already kind of foresee where she's going to go. Like, you yeah. know, she's just going to get better. But, like, their arc, especially Mako, is more complex. Mako, as you said, is hitting what is popularly seen as a really bad point for his character. I don't know if this is his lowest point, mm -hmm. but if it is, again, they're not afraid, now speaking as the writers, they're not afraid to take a character who's supposed to be a hero and throw him into a really, really dicey situation where he makes a call on something that's so divisive that you're either going to love, like, continue to, to love him and see him through it or you're going to hate him. Like, that's a really gutsy move on the part of the writers, and I, like, fully applaud them. As you, yeah. putting deeply flawed heroes in is, you know, great. You know, we've, you know, we've ridden with Korra through some real rough times, and, you know, we have with, we are right now with Mako. And, yeah, like, it's, it's great uh, letting the characters have real low points and uh, letting us feel whatever way we do toward them. I think it's great. We love messy characters. <laughs> yeah, we really do. I do. I write I messy do, characters. Too. So yes. I love it. Yeah. Yes. We love the drama. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Bolin's great in this episode. And then... Um, so good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he just... I loved the fight against the waterbenders where it's him fighting the one on three and like the... the um, uh, the announcer for the oh, yeah. pro Shiro. banding is in the yeah. audience and he's there narrating the whole fight as it's like it's going and he's <laughs> like you know normally it would be against the rules for him to do that but like the rules There's are out the window anyway. Benders, so all rules are out the window. <laughs> I love it. Yes. That it's was so such a good. Funny touch. Yeah. Like I literally stood up out of my chair like when he won he like pumped his arms out I did the exact <laughs> same thing I was like yeah you did it man. Yes you're a hero yes and just a little you know this is before the fight but um you know bullen's watching the the movie and he starts to get all emotional and he goes out to the you know the docks or whatever and asami joins him and i swear when i first watched this i was like are they about to become a thing <laughs> like, i i was thinking the exact same thing <laughs> Right? Because I'm like, okay, I'm not mad. I questioned like... everything. In those, like, <laughs> ten seconds, I questioned everything. Right? And the fact that she's wearing, I don't even know if you noticed this, but she's wearing the same dress that she wore on her first date with Mako. I was mm -hmm. like, okay, is this, like, your uh, your seducing dress? <laughs> like, your mating dress? <laughs> but uh, Wow. <laughs> mating dress um yeah no but it actually is a really sweet scene and we don't really get a lot of scenes like we kind of do this season but not much after um of just bolin and asami it's a weird pairing mm -hmm. but like i'm kind of here for it because remember think back to the very first episode of this season um bolin was acting as her assistant to go talk to varick and it's right. like I mean, that's kind of weird, but, like, it kind of worked out, obviously. I kind of love it, though. I kind of love, like, the klutzy, funny guy, like, the goofball with, like, the girl boss. And she's, like... Right? And, and plus she's really... the trophy really, husband. Plus she's, like... Yeah, and plus she's not condescending to him in any way. She's, like, no. really nice and sensitive to him. It's it's very wholesome. Why, could, why couldn't we have had this? <laughs> right? Yeah. Maka and Cora, you deserve each other. 
<laughs> you toxic Mexican <laughs> people. For real. For yeah, real. no, I'll take the wholesome mock or not mock <laughs> bullet and asami, whatever that bosami. <laughs> bosami. <laughs> I'm here for it. Um, but uh yeah, so so he saves the president, and then uh Verrett gets basically gets cornered by the police and gets thrown in jail and i think that yep. is a hilarious like there's so many jokes packed into that one scene with him in the jail uh the first one being that he built the jail because he figured he would end up in there one day he'd <laughs> so eventually he it, get caught yeah, so he made it this like giant lavish like hotel style <laughs> jail cell with a giant bed and like just everything just the, he could the, ever need just just the penthouse cell like yes. it's amazing I love it. Um, and then the fact that he named his favorite battleship after his assistant because they're both cold-hearted war machines. <laughs> like, <laughs> and we've heard Julie say maybe three words this entire season. <laughs> like, it is the funniest thing. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, you gotta wonder a little bit what goes on between those two that he calls her a cold-hearted war machine. Listen, there's only one bed. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, at the so finale anyway. of the episode, um, in a much colder part of town, um, right. there's a, a very interesting ending to this episode, a finale that I didn't foresee, which was Tanrak mm -hmm. facing off one-on-one -on -one against Unalak. And I rocked. love, yeah, getting rocked. And I loved the fight. Mm -hmm. It was insane i had yeah. no i was it was like that moment at like the end of rogue one when like the ship's <laughs> been disabled and you get up and you start to leave and you tell the kids to get their coats on but then real quick the rebel soldiers are assembling in the hallway you're like oh wait what's this and as soon as the lightsaber turned on and the two of them just start bending i'm like oh, yo yo <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah no it's like you know i i couldn't care less about unalak as a character but damn his fight scenes are so good like it makes me mad how good they are because i'm like i don't care about this guy at all he's the worst but man like i'm not even joking when i say that he as a waterbender is like like he's up there as one of the best waterbenders in the avatar world that we know of like obviously um Oh, oh wait, who who is who is uh, again the name of the master that Katara fought in the north in the north Paku. when she was training? Paku. Paku. Yeah. Right. I really felt like he was fighting at like almost master Paku levels. Like we haven't oh, seen yeah. two waterbenders fight each other in that good of a fight since Katara and Paku. Oh, for sure. And honestly, I would even say he might be better than Paku just because he has the spiritual like know-how on his side. And he oh, can... overall, yes, totally. Yeah. Like, I think that <laughs> this is going to be my ranking of Waterbenders in terms of just sheer power that we've uh -huh. seen. Amon, top tier. Like, no one's yeah. beating that guy. He is the no, most powerful by far. Yakone yeah. would be right under him, his dad, just because, True. like, he... You know, he was the one that started the whole psychic bloodbending. And then probably Tarlock right under him. Katara would be four. And then probably like Paku or Unalak, one of those two. Um, and I'm not counting the avatars, any of the avatars, because that's just not fair. Uh, but yeah. yeah, those those five or six are like 
god level waterbenders yeah. like they are crazy powerful and like you'll see in the finale like i'll give them that like i've been saying this whole season that the finale in terms of just fight like the fight in the finale is one of the best fight scenes in all of legend of Korra. like the amount of creativity and the water bending usage and just the fluidity the the, the fluidity there we go and mm -hmm. the colors, like everything, it just comes together. And it really is all thanks to Unalak because the guy is just a monster when it comes to fighting. Um, yeah. But yeah, the fight between him and Tonrock is really well done. It's very, uh, you know, Scar and Mufasa-like. <laughs> they are mm -hmm. very Scar and Mufasa-like, just in general. They are. They're also um, very Thor and Loki-like. But yes. yeah, all of it. <laughs> all of the brothers' battles. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, again, that's so... A, yet another wasted potential. I feel like if they had made Unalak a much more nuanced and like, I don't know, emotionally deep character, that this whole situation, this whole season would have been so much better because not only is he fighting against his brother, you know, for the throne and everything, but his niece is the Avatar and he's like trying, he's in a world ending battle against her. And like he's the ultimate evil, she's the ultimate good, but like they're still blood related. And it's like this could have been a really good, complex, like family drama that I, f I would have found very interesting, very similar to, you know, Zuko and Azula. But no, let's just make him the, you know, obviously evil, comedically like unhinged villain. <laughs> like it's, and it's just, you can't take him seriously because it's just, he's just the mur the mustache twirling villain of the week. And it's, ugh, yeah, the potential yeah, he, is wasted. Yeah, you know, the, the, the depth and the nuance of that, like you said, was really wasted potential because they really took him a little too far to the extreme where it, it should have been a little bit more, could have been a little bit more like Tarlock. Create some inner conflict, make him at least multi-dimensional on some level, give him even a level of regret or remorse or self-doubt or some sort of humanity. But like mm -hmm. you said, he's just a mustache-twirling monster. He's not that different than the way he is depicted in the move in the mover. <laughs> like like other than that, he looks like Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon. <laughs> like yes. other than that, like he basically spot on, like pretty much his personality. And it's so funny because even the way that he said, there's a certain line that he says to Tonrock before their fight starts. He says, oh, hello, Tarlock, looking for me. He says it just like that. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is like too much. I can't. This guy. When 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 Unalak in real life is more theatrical and more <laughs> right? dramatic than his on-screen counterpart. Which again, if they played that up and made him just the campiest villain ever, I would have enjoyed it. I love ridiculously campy, over-the-top villains. Like, that's my shit. But they don't. They're trying to play it seriously. And it's just sapping all the fun and enjoyment out of it. Like, come on, go all out if you're going to do that. Like, if you're really going to mm -hmm. go that far in the extreme. But uh, yeah, no. But again, the guy's a monster when it comes to fighting. So at least we have that to enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, weird as it sounds, I feel like ever I feel like he's better in Studio Mir animated episodes. Really? Interesting. <laughs> I feel like I feel like he's better in the second half of the season here. I feel like at the start he was really um I think it was the fact that 
on top of the fact that he is like you said the mustache twirling villain like his his um his motivations and his true nature were always so paper thin so transparent there was there's no mystique to him there's no depth to him at all um the fact that all this time and i dislike this a lot about villains like just put out there from the start their goal Mm-hmm. don't slowly unravel it as the season goes on like oh he secretly wants to take over the northern water tribe or southern water tribe oh no he secretly is trying to break open the spirit world but why oh no he secretly is co you know cohorting with the lord of chaos who is imprisoned ten thousand years ago and then finally it's revealed oh no he wants to literally fuse with him it's like just say right from the start what the stakes are so that we get it and mm. then add nuance to the character it, it like just pull him like like show us the full crazy right from the start so that we think he's an insane monster and then start dripping his humanity in so that he becomes interesting but don't right. leave him like so vague we don't get who he is and then try to build the stakes by like revealing bigger and more disastrous plans it's just cartoonish and it's just it makes it feel fall really flat so yeah. i totally I agree, agree with you yeah <laughs> i agree i literally I sometimes forget, like, watching that, oh, yeah, that's Korra's uncle. Like, there's just no connection. It's so weird. I'm like, why? Like, I get for the drama between him and his brother, but, like, there's no reason for him to be her uncle. Like, you'd think that they would do something with that, like a parallel, like an evil, twisted version of Iroh and Zuko, but no, no, just, no. no. Yeah, so, anyway. Sometimes (laughs) I feel like she just, she doesn't even refer to him as her uncle most of the time. It's not like my uncle this, my uncle that. It's Unalak this and Unalak that. Like he could be anybody to her. Right. And that's just that's just boring. Like sorry. It's, <laughs> yeah, they it's it's again the lost opportunity. Um but this episode is phenomenal overall. Uh, again, you know, uh ends with with Mako getting out and the the big moment we discussed at the start of of Qatar reuniting with him and the whole conflict there that we're left <laughs> at the end of the episode. Um the episode starts like starts with just a, a you know the drama is high. Um there's incredible cheer-worthy moments the entire time. Bolin shines. Um there's action and intrigue throughout and it ends with like a show-stopping fight. I mean, geez um again i can only measure this episode against things i've already experienced but i already want to go back and watch this episode again to be honest with you um uh night of a thousand stars is probably i'm gonna give it a probably a 9.3 you know what i'll go ahead and match that i will give this episode a 9.3 as well because this is definitely up there with the um this is it the the stakeout or no it was the strike is that what it was? The, oh my god. No, the the uh sting. Sting, that was it. I was like, strike out steak. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. So the sting never, never I, become a cop. <laughs> right. I never could. Um, but yes, I love those two episodes. They're actually very similar um in yeah. tone and in just, you know, their very eccentricness. Um, but uh yeah, I really do love this episode. Um and it's just upped by the fact that it's animated by Studio Mir. Like Sorry, but that automatically ups any episode. 
question of Cora. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I love this episode. This is one that I would watch, you know, just by itself because it, it's kind of its own little self-contained story, really, um, yeah. which I really like. But uh, yeah, so 9.3. Very good episode. Nice. And that brings us to the next episode, which is episode 12 of season two, Harmonic Convergence. Rolls right off your tongue. Harmonic <laughs> right. Convergence. Uh, the episode is written by Tim Hedrick, directed by Ian Graham. The duo is back again. Uh, animated beautifully by Studio Mirror. Thank goodness we just were looking forward to them for the rest of the season here. Take yes. us out in these final episodes. The, epi the animation in this one is really, truly gorgeous. Like this one, I felt like especially is like really good, top notch animation. Oh, just wait! Finale is gonna blow your socks off. It's so good. <laughs> oh, I don't even mean the 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 action and the movement, but even like just like this is something I love in animation. I love you know they're cartoon characters, so there's that black line that draws the outline around everything. Mm -hmm. One of the details gets lost in animation and lost on a lot of people is line weight. Where, right. like, some of the lines when a drawing of a character are thin black lines, but there's some parts of them usually around their outer outline that is thicker, drawn slightly mm -hmm. thicker, and it's there to add weight to the character. You put it around heavy parts of their costumes, like armor or heavy fabric. You put it around their hair, if their hair is supposed to seem bulky and, and thick. Mm -hmm. And you put that on there, and they do a little bit of that, I notice, in parts of this episode, and I'm like, oh, line weight. Mm a lost Justice. detail <laughs> love it uh the episode aired november 15th 2013 and the imdb rating of harmonic convergence is 8.3 out of 10. take us away with the fun facts amanda all right so the sound effect for harmonic convergence spreading across the physical world is the same sound effect that is used for vatu's beam attacks and we kind of talked about this during yes. the uh yeah the beginnings part one and part two um and how much we love that sound effect of the beam attack um and i just gotta say like as someone that absolutely like my favorite color is purple so the fact that when you know harmonic convergence was spreading across the world it tinged everything like it made everything a purple tint i love it right? it looks so good <laughs> right it's like a T-Mobile commercial where the world just turns purple. Like... <laughs> yes, exactly. Also, T-Mobile uh, sponsor our podcast. Um... Right. Um, our next fun fact is this episode marks the first time that Katara waterbends on screen in Legend of Korra. Like, I mean, it's it's not like fighting waterbending or anything. It's just spirit waterbending, you know, the, the healing. Oh, really? Yeah, this is the first time was, that we've seen her do that. Was that that was in this episode and not the last one? I think it was in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. I know they laid what's her name in the uh, uh, Genora in the healing water. Yeah, Kaya. And she was bending. Ka yeah, was that? Wait, wait. <laughs> Wait. This is the first time that Katara water bends. Yeah. Or the first time Kaya water bends. Katara. I thought in the last episode they lay Janora in the water and Katara waterbends the healing stuff around her. That wasn't Isn't in the... this episode the first time. Really? Am I mixing? Am I just <laughs> mixing up the episodes? You might have since we watched them all back to back. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's true. I might just be messing them up at this point. So I'll trust you. I trust you. I, I, right. I'm not gonna. 
I wasn't brought up to doubt the word of a lady. <laughs> right. Well, we just spent like 10 minutes with that this episode. Um, <laughs> our final fun fact is that Katora... Katora. See, now you got me confused. <laughs> Katora. That's their ship name. Um, anyway, Cora practicing her airbending on a ship under Tenzin's instruction is similar to how Zuko practiced firebending on his ship under Iroh's instruction in the first episode of Avatar, The Boy and the Iceberg. And I, mm-hmm. I, I remembered that. I was like, oh, yes, this is, this is not the first time. This actually is the, the third time we've seen someone training on a ship because obviously Zuko training, he's done that several times uh, throughout Avatar. But then also Azula, she was training with lightning bending, remember, in the first episode of season two? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and she had the one hair out of place. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I guess the top of a ship is a good place to bend, although it doesn't seem like it'd be very safe. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, anyway. who cares about safety? Nah, it's fantasy. It's fine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So going into the actual episode, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, we're just following through, of course, with Mako still not telling Cora about anything as he's watching her like, and I'm sorry, like, I'm just going to briefly, briefly reiterate again. She's there on the deck of the ship. She's like, this is like the Rocky training montage. She's blasting training dummies. She's literally visualizing. She's manifesting Unalak's defeat. Can you imagine being like, wow, you're on top of the world, Cora? Yeah, seems like you're really ready for this looming fight for the fate of the planet. Hey, by the way, I'm breaking up with you and I'm just reminding you that we broke up before and it was really humiliating. But yeah, like goodbye i'm dating asami again yeah that's sure that's something like the best idea like not to Just reopen why? the wound but like what like you know I admit why he should have done it right then and there like he said to bolin just pull off the blood-sucking leech just get it over with and again ob- objectively true could have been pulled <laughs> off i just you know but yeah um, so, he's, <laughs> so he's still, you know, Mak- Mako, I'm, I'm with you to the end of the line, buddy. Um, but yeah, so he's still like letting that hang and, you know, we're, we're waiting, we're holding our breath on that whole situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what the real meat and potatoes then is, uh, the plan that they come, that comes together. You know, this episode is plot wise, not very complicated. There's not a ton of things that happen. It is kind of a two-pronged attack because on the one hand what they plan is for asami mako and bolin to go in on the plane and wreak havoc on the camp to draw the defense's attention away from uh who is it is it it's Korra, and then tenzin kaya and boomy mm-hmm. and that's it right on on the bison yes. flying in i don't think there's anybody else i think it's cora yeah. and the three the three siblings riding in on the bison that they're supposed to make their way to the portal and get inside mm-hmm. and wow like it's an incredible battle like <laughs> like like asami and bolin and maka are just tearing it up between yep. the fireballs and this the, the plane just racing across the sky and the strafing runs and the c4 that bolin's just like passing out like you get c4 and you get c4 and you get c4 <laughs> everybody gets c4 it's like they're right. on oprah and didn't he use the exact same like the varic um 
uh where they called the, the pyrotechnics the explosives like i was like that's yep. a cool callback that he that he did have those in his bag and that's why he got like so he just used them he's like fuck it <laughs> I'll just use them yeah, I guess. No. yeah he did it was great he was it was awesome um again the battle is just superbly done there's like the the waterbenders are throwing out the ice shards mm-hmm. like it's anti-aircraft fire it's so cool yeah yeah no and it's like I like the visual of all the like dark spirits going around the the portal, the beam, um, and just how they kind of get involved with the fight. Because like, you know, as much shit as we talk about the spirits <laughs> in the spirit world, it still visually is cool to see them in action and to have you know them go up against the heroes. But um, but yeah, so obviously the plan doesn't work out <laughs> because. It would be too because easy this if it is did. Legend, this is Legend of Korra, and everything always has to go horribly, horribly wrong before right. there's like a positive resolution at the very end. We can't have our heroes ever win. <laughs> no, stupid. no, it'd be dumb and boring. Yeah, so almost everybody gets captured by um, it was Eska and Desna, I believe, yeah. and. <laughs> And uh, Tonrock is actually there as well. Like he wasn't part of the of the of the attack or anything. He just happens to be captured because of the fight no. from the previous episode. He, he just got beat up in an alley and dragged in, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so they get reunited, uh, him and Korra, and Boomy is the only one that wasn't captured, and so he. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. It It was like Bugs Bunny. Like he defeated them by way of Bugs Bunny. (laughs) Yeah, he just. I said. I said to you while watching the episode that Boomy is gonna take down the entire army, just Bugs Bunny style. Like he walks in, just like blowing a flute after he figures out that it tames like one of the evil spirits or the dark spirits, Mm -hmm. and he just marches in there disguised as a soldier. What? And then whips out his little pipe like he's going to be the Pied Piper and just starts piping for the spirits to follow him. And it all goes completely pear-shaped because then they don't follow him. They Mm -hmm. chase him. And then he goes into a mech to hide from them. And they possess the mech. And it goes bonkers, just destroying everything in the camp. Like, I just love how... Yeah, it literally was like a Tex Avery cartoon. It was just absolutely crazy. There's like everything going wrong. He literally just bugs Buddy Tom and Jerry his way through the entire thing. And I love how he frees everybody. I love that. Oh, yeah. No, and what I love about the whole thing is that up to this point, all like one of the biggest things that we've learned about Boomy is that he has these tall tales about, about his time in the army and all that, being a general. And you know, nobody ever believes him, like, because they're so far-fetched, they're so crazy, like, there's no way that that actually happened, and that he even admits that he sometimes stretches the truth to make it more interesting or more entertaining, the stories Mm -hmm. he tells, but then, (laughs) but then when he actually manages to, like, as you say, Tom and Jerry, his way into saving the gang, you know, the Korra group, um, they ask him, like, how did, what happened? How did you do that? And he's just like, never mind i won't tell you 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 won't believe it (laughs) like he just gives up right (laughs) and i love that that's such a funny payoff to like this running joke of his um so yeah i kind of believe him a little more now (laughs) the stories that he's telling yeah boomy boomy really got his chance to shine in the episode and and rightly so because you know 
the whole season, exactly like you said, we had this sort of, well, what is he? Is he just, is he just kind of there to make jokes and like spart off the Tenzin? Is he comic relief? Is he there to provide some like heart and soul to the, the trio of siblings where Tenzin is, is, you know, struggling with things between being stressful vacation Tenzin or mm-hmm. like getting frustrated that he's not the one to usher core into the spirit world. Like, with all the sibling drama, like, is Boomy just there to kind of represent, like, the goofy, funny heart of the group? Well, mm-hmm. yeah, but also save everybody from when they get captured. And plus, on top of it, I love that real quick subverting of expectations where he comes sliding in and he's like, it's rescue time, everybody. And then, like, uh, Eska and... Uh, uh, and Desna rise up and for a split second like oh no he's going to be captured too he wasn't counting right. on them and then the 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 polar bear dog yeah naga. once again naga comes in and just nagas them down and... bitch slaps both of them <laughs> yes and like oh they are saved that's great <laughs> yep yeah, gotta love the animal companions coming in last minute to save the heroes. It's a it's a very useful trope in Avatar. It happens so many times throughout the series. Like and and it happens in that critically acclaimed mover Nuktuk, Hero of the South. Right. If you notice, you know. I uh, yes, I did. Real life imitating art. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's cinema. <laughs> Well, anyway, and that's kind of nice too with those things because Naga hasn't had anything to do for like literally five, ep- like four or five episodes now. Naga has had nothing to do since season one, let's be honest. Like, it's so sad. And that's honestly like, it's a little thing because it doesn't like ruin the show or anything. But yeah. the animal companion of the Avatar was literally so crucial to the story, to, you know, just the certain episodes the character arcs like there's a whole Appa, fun... Appa even had his own episode literally and it won an emmy <laughs> it is, it's crazy to me that like i understand naga can't fly like that is very helpful to have a flying animal but do something with her i feel so bad for poor naga she's just like sidelined yeah. and she saves Cora so many times in the first season you think like wow like she's really like got a strong connection to Cora and she's got her back and like they could never be separated because there's it's her spirit animal but no apparently they can and it's fine <laughs> it's like no i hate that but yeah uh, justice for naga <laughs> Right? Hashtag justice for Naga. Hashtag Mako did nothing wrong. So, yeah. And, we need to get those and, on shirts. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, no. The, it, again, it's great to see that moment there when Booby saves everybody. Um, but then we have the the big showstopper at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. All of the battling is done, all of the getting captured for the one millionth time that Team Avatar has been captured in the show. Yep. <laughs> they had so much jail time in the show. So much jail time. Um, is that, you know, they want to try to stop vatu from being released and from the Mm -hmm. convergence uh the convergence from you know she tries to shut the portals before the convergence happens and not so much i i really love the build-up of uh unalak there at uh you know by the portals and Mm. um you know he is he's there pondering 
he's there pondering uh like the imminence of the convergence and then he kind of mm-hmm. pauses as like he notices all of them coming through the portal yes and then he immediately like jumps into action on top of a spirit it's a very cool visual like he just he does not waste time <laughs> he's trying to waste these guys yeah like, yeah and he could have just he could have just murked all of them right then <laughs> if not for the fact that you know the story my has ball, to continue. <laughs> my boys, Mako and Bolin, stepping up when we need them. Like, I would tell you, they're an unstoppable duo. I mean, obviously, he stops them. But they're an unstoppable <laughs> they're duo. Great. Like, I, I love them. Their teamwork is so good. Like, I feel like the first season did such a good job establishing this whole teamwork and discipline. Just the whole, the fact that they mm-hmm. train together for, like, a sport. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're very in sync with each other in terms of, like, you know, their fighting prowess and it's a little thing because it's a wide shot but i noticed that there is a part of that very brief fight between mako and bolin and uh unalak where i believe it was uh mako bolin sends him flying off of a boulder and he mm-hmm. like you know lands a hit or whatever on unalak and again it's like they're so in sync like the fact that he felt comfortable enough to have his brother launch him off of a boulder so he could take a hit from above you know out of the high ground um, yeah. and so it's just really cool like you know again that's a wide shot and it's a blink and you miss it moment but it's it really shows how yeah. well their teamwork dynamic works um, yeah, they got the combo moves. They're not just covering each other's back. They know how to combine their abilities right. into how can I make what you're about to do better? And exactly. I love that. Yeah, I love it. Um, and we do see a little bit more of that in the finale because everybody gets their own little, you know, mini fight scenes. But um, yeah, so it it's actually a really, you know, the episode as a whole is not like for me, it's not the most exciting just because, again, like. I don't care about the spirit world and all that, but I will say mm-hmm. that the ending with Cora, you know, trying to open up the portals or sorry, not open, close the portals and, you know, Mako and Bolin trying to hold off Unalak and the spirits and everything. Like it's, it's actually a very thrilling, exciting ending um, yeah. only for them to, of course, cause it's Cora. Fail. fail. We have two more episodes <laughs> yeah. to go. We, yeah. We um, have to just grind the hero's faces a little more in the dirt. <laughs> Right. Um, But it's a really cool moment, I feel like, whenever, um, you know, after harmonic convergence happens and, you know, the world's covered in purple. (laughs) And uh, love it. Yeah, I love that. It's a good look. uh, (laughs) Right. And there's a moment where after that happens, you know, the tree of time, which is the tree that Vatu is trapped in in the spirit world you know, the, not spell, it's not magic, but you know, the, the, whatever is holding him, the spiritual energy that's holding him in that tree, it kind of dissipates and the screen goes black for just a split second. And then it, it, and then he explodes out of the tree, which is like this fury of light and sound. And it's just like, wow, that was a really cool visual. (laughs) I I love how after he's done, he just like, in midair, he's he like he's gigantic. He's like looming over them, like, oh, look how evil I am! You're so yeah. screwed. Would you all get a load of me? Like, <laughs> right. he kind of like postures in 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 midair. It's like okay, I mean, as he should. He's been waiting like ten thousand years to get out of that tree. <laughs> but uh yeah, so and then Cora, yeah, kind of shits herself, and that's the end of the episode because like she's screwed. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a pretty exciting ending for a just kind of mid episode. I feel like, in my opinion, um, I don't know how you feel about it, but 
Oh no, no. I again, I I really thought it was good, like a slam bang finish to it, and it just sort of ends on a cliffhanger, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, I yeah, I really liked it. Um, the the episode overall is just like action packed. Um, again, from start to finish, as I said, as it is, you know, when you have an action sequence, it's just going to eat up time in the episode, and sometimes it can kind of go on a while where like. Um, what was it in uh, in in season one, for example, there was the fight against like the 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 fleet that comes in when General Iroh shows up, and like that fight was good, but like for what it was, it kind of went on like just kind of like a little long. Like okay, we get they're gonna lose, like yeah. you know, there's you know, okay, just get it over with at this point. Like we're just kind of watching you guys suffer. It was like maybe a minute or two too long. This mm-hmm. episode, like the action is just superb like they make good use of it the entire time the like lull to focus on boomy is really good just the 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 overall arc of like uh tempo throughout the entire episode the up the down the oh look we're winning oh no we're getting captured oh look boomy oh no vatu's freed is a bit of a roller coaster but like well done mm-hmm. and and again you know um spirit world kind of leaving us cold as it does uh detracts a little bit of points um but like the whole thing is just very cool um overall i gotta say i think i give this episode like a mm, i'm gonna say like an 8.9 it's not as exciting it's not as exciting (laughs) for me as it's not as exciting for me as the like um varic you know uh very personal fight it's like it's great action but like the stakes are really big end of the world stuff and i'm like okay that's cool and it has some great moments so i don't mean it as a negative but like yeah i'd say like it scratches the bottom of a nine but it's not quite there for me i meant to say 8.9 and stick to it wow i'm gonna go much lower than that <laughs> wow really yeah, I like like I said, I think that this episode is like saved by the finale. Not that it's a bad episode or anything. It's just like uh-huh. I feel like if you're going to do an infiltration kind of episode, which is basically what this is, they're trying to infiltrate yeah. the, you know, spirit portal. Um, you know, I want that to be either thrilling, like a kind of film spy noir type thing, mm-hmm. or it just needs to be like balls to the wall, nonstop action, like you know, just super, or it could have been funny, like a kind of heist funny movie. Um, And it wasn't really any of that. Like it, it had action for sure, but it wasn't like, you know, crazy insane action, like what we have in the finale um, or even at the end of the episode. But so I don't know. It just, it just, it wasn't for me. It's not that it's a bad episode. I just personally, like, I like the stuff with Boomy um, and I like the finale, but everything else is just kind of like, eh, that's fine. Um, so for me, this that. is going to be on, yeah, on the lower end, probably 7.5 out of 10. <laughs> oof, that's a big oof. Can we say I, it all together, folks? Oof. oof. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I was surprised that, that you one. gave it as high as you did. I was like, wow, really? That high? Dang. <laughs> No, I thought the action. I thought the action was really top notch. I thought it was really good. The humor and the action, everything, like really, really good. But again, like again, not in the nine category for me. But still mm-hmm. very thrilling. I think they really 
the, the things that they did were things they've been struggling to do well and like get me excited with all season long and i feel like they were finally succeeding like the stuff in the spirit world give me just loads of spirits running at mako and bolin as they hurl fire and 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 rock at, at unalak and while Kara, Kata, uh, not Katara, but cora accesses <laughs> we can't remember anyone's name anymore cora access like like does her usual like quick tap of the mm-hmm. avatar state to like cast this giant wave out to like wipe them like in the spectacle of the entire thing the spectacle of like the attack on the portal but the portal itself just being fortified it's just a beautiful beautiful visual i just feel like the episode had a lot in it and was really going for gold and i give them credit for the effort and the the thrills that they did have um but man yeah again just not doing it for you there's got to be more gravitas behind it to make to make amanda happy (laughs) (laughs) and i can't fault you for that at all yeah no i can't fault you for that at all you know we've talked about a lot of things where um episodes of the mandalorian for example that you and i have talked about were like the action it's not even just action versus not action it's like the action has to hit in a certain way where like for me it has to be a certain level of exciting for me to feel like it's good and then for you like if it's just junk action just there for its own sake almost like filler action you're like meh where's my story (laughs) right where's my story where's my characters Yeah, yeah totally valid well, that was uh, very interesting that we had vastly different opinions on this episode. Especially since on the last one, we agreed so hard on like a solid right. 9.3 on the whole thing. When it's good, it's really good. But you know what? You already said that season two was a struggle and that Korra as a show is divisive. And I can't think of anything more divisive than like a greater than a whole point difference in our ratings. Especially you going down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am everyone I'm, pray for Amanda. <laughs> she got two more episodes of the season left. God help me. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been like foreshadowing what a rough landing the end of the season is. I I because you've been saying it, right? Didn't you say a few episodes ago that you were like, just wait, you'll be begging for like season one's ending <laughs> compared yes. to season two's. And it's not even the full finale, it's just the last episode. Like, if I remember correctly, it's been a minute since I've watched the full, you know, the full final two episodes. But I think I actually really like the the second to last episode, but then the final episode just ruins it so bad. Oh, my God. Oh, no. I yeah, can't even, like, possibly. Be a fun one. <laughs> I can't possibly anticipate what could bring it down so badly at this point. And please don't tell me. Unless okay, it's like, <laughs> unless Mako's apology scene is just so absolutely deplorable that like it just ruins the entire episode like a stain on a white tablecloth. Oh, you'll you'll see, you'll you'll see. It's gonna be oh. super fun. Like we're gonna have so oh. much to talk about. I can't wait. <laughs> oh no all right well you know what next next week's uh episode is going to be us covering the final two episodes of season two so buckle in everybody it's gonna be a bumpy ride that's all for today to all of our listeners thank you so much for tuning in we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode so feel free to leave a review or comment follow the podcast give us a good rating and all that good stuff you can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Mike 